As we come to God's Word today in the book of Philippians chapter 4, I invite you to open your pew Bibles or a device if you're watching online to follow along with the Scripture. The words will be on screen from the New International Version. I'll read the, the whole chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned from me or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For when, even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all of God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. And all God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The, the great... Master salesman Steve Jobs, the head of Apple, used to end his speeches sometimes with a little phrase, one more thing. 
One more thing, and, and he'd pull out of his back pocket this most amazing new product that he was trying to sell people, the latest iPhone or iPod. He, he'd pull out of an envelope a computer so thin that it was like a piece of paper. And he'd say, and one more thing. And then he'd tell people and try to sell them to buy this thing that they needed to, to make their life perfect, to solve all their problems. One more thing, one more gem, one more thing that would help them be complete. And I think that's a little bit of what Paul is doing here in this letter to the Philippians. He's got one more thing to say to the Philippians. And in a word, we could say it is rejoice. Rejoice. He's been saying it all along, of course, through the book from the very beginning, but he'll apply it now to a couple different areas and things that they need to hear. Rejoice in unity. Rejoice in faithful action in the Spirit. And rejoice in giving Rejoice. See, Paul always ends his letters like this chapter with a, a bunch of practical instructions and personal greetings, and he always has some sort of callback pointing back to the beginning of his letter to what he was talking about from the very beginning, and he always ends it with a blessing. And if, as you heard this chapter, there were uh, some familiar phrases or verses, well, I'd say that this chapter has some jewels in it. It has some real jewels of Scripture that you may have heard or memorized or treasured in your heart before. Uh, Maybe you've memorized a rejoice in the Lord or the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus or whatever is true and noble. Each of these Scriptures is a, a little jewel we can pick up and gaze at and meditate upon and observe from every angle and that is a, a good thing to do. But today we get to see them all strung together into this necklace of jewels of Scripture. See, to understand these verses, we kind of need to go back to the beginning of Philippians and to the backstory of why Paul was writing to them at all. The short answer is that we don't really know exactly what was going on and why there was a conflict that caused Paul to write this letter. But we can piece a bit of it together from this chapter and the other ones. See, ever since Paul visited Philippi way back in the beginning, maybe 10 years after, before he wrote this, there had been uh, lots of back and forth between him and this church. It was a, a deeply loved church who had a close relationship with Paul. He preached the gospel to them way back in the day, and many of them believed and followed Jesus, and they joined this house church or group of house churches Lydia's household was one of them that that, uh, led a church, but also the Roman jailer who imprisoned Paul when he was in Philippi. It could have been another. And then Paul mentions a few other people, Clement, Epaphroditus, uh, Euodia, Syntyche, and and then many, many others he doesn't name. These people have been working faithfully for the gospel. They've been co-preachers, co-apostles for Jesus Christ. They have contended alongside Paul in this difficult race. They've suffered imprisonments. They've suffered beatings and hardship like he has. And Paul loves them deeply. He, he calls them his beloved and longed-for ones. And they sent him messengers, and they sent him letters and gifts more than once. In fact, there, there may have been as many as five times of back and forth between Paul and the Philippians. Uh, Epaphroditus, for example, brought a gift to him when he was in Rome in prison. Uh, They sent him a a gift when he was ministering in Thessalonica, preaching the gospel there, and in fact, many other places too. And there was a message sent back from Rome to Philippi before this letter. See, Epaphroditus came to Rome, and he brought a gift to support Paul, and then he himself fell sick. 
he nearly died. And Paul and Timothy took care of him and nursed him back to health. And then they were going to send Epaphroditus back to Philippi with this letter. Uh, Timothy and and Epaphroditus probably would have hand-carried it back together to the church and read it in a worship service. They would have stood up after the singing, after the praying, and this this messenger would have read the word of God, this, this letter from Paul to the church. And I imagine as they heard the letter, the, the first verses, they would have liked it. And Paul greets them with joy. He speaks of unity. And they might have gotten a bit teary-eyed about Paul's statement in chapter 2 that he might die for the gospel. Uh, chapter 1, he, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, and whether I live or I die, I know that Christ will be glorified. Uh, my life and my death are in service of Jesus Christ. And he trusts in his faithful Savior. Now, they might have been a bit confused in in chapter 2 when Paul starts quoting one of their favorite hymns, this Christ hymn that speaks of of Jesus Christ who who comes and, and serves among them, but then he applies it to their lives and he says, no, this is about how we should live in service and joy and witness to one another. And then in chapter 3, Paul declares that everything he's done, all the the good deeds, all the, the right boxes he's checked throughout his life, they're worthless compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And finally, in chapter 4, he appeals to them one last time. Stand firm as one. Be united. And then he names by name two people in the church who were not united. Euodia and Syntyche seem to have this disagreement that is something deeper than what color to paint the sanctuary or what kind of cookies to serve with the coffee after the service. And we don't know what it is, and Paul doesn't mention it because everyone knows. But I imagine them hearing these words, uh, Euodia and Syntyche sitting on opposite sides of the church, and and maybe their faces flush with embarrassment, uh, and there's looks and murmurs and wonders, did he really say that? And then the embarrassed silence. And then Paul rebukes them for for not being united in one mind, for not being united in Christ Jesus, in the, the mission of the gospel. And yet, even as he does that, he builds them up. He says, no, these women are co-workers, co-evangelists, co-preachers of the gospel. They have contended at my side as co-workers for Jesus Christ. And he invites the whole community to come alongside them and help them again be united in Christ. And he knows that they will. He is confident that they will because their names are in the book of life. And things like that happen in the church, and and they happen even in this congregation. And I'm not going to get up here and start naming names, because I'm no Paul, and and I think that would really embarrass all of us. We don't know the aftermath of what happened when he did this, but there's no reason to believe that these two women did not find their unity in Christ Jesus. But anyone with their eyes and ears open knows that the church of Jesus Christ is, is not united and I'm not just talking about this congregation or, or our region or our binational uh, Canadian-American denomination of the Christian Reformed Church or, or any Christian who, who calls on the name of Jesus, any evangelical or Protestant or, or Catholic or Orthodox believer or the church, church universal. No, see, the, the lack of unity in the church is one of the biggest obstacles to mission. And I don't mean that we need one global monolithic church. That doesn't work so well either. But I am pleading for the church of Jesus Christ to be focused on what matters, to be united in the word, in knowing Jesus Christ or knowing the word or proclaiming Jesus, whatever you want to call it. And when we get lost in the weeds of of theological or cultural differences, we get off from the right direction. 
And we need to stay pointed at Jesus Christ. We need to focus our joint efforts on what matters. And if there's anything I want you to remember about my ministry among you here, it's, it's something like that. Read the Word. Spend lots of time in God's Word so that you may know Christ more and more. Let God's Word shape how you think and live. Be formed by the Spirit more and more so that you become like Jesus. Love the Word. And so many other things fall into place. Mission and evangelism. God's Word will help you understand your own culture better and critique the things that are wrong and translate the Word of the Gospel into good news for this time and place and help you see how Christ is above and beyond any culture and His Word is good news for all who call on His name. See, being in the Word, being in the living Word, that is, Jesus Christ, means that you will be united with other believers as one body. Call me an optimist, but I think that if Christians really let God's Word shape them, then the church would be transformed. And Paul certainly thinks something along these lines as he writes one more thing to the church of Philippi. He, he keeps saying things like, Stand firm in the Lord, my dear friends. It all begins and ends with joy for him. This joy that comes from being in Christ. Joy of thinking and praying and doing Christ-like things. Joy that responds in generous giving. Let's take those three things one at a time then. See, first, Paul rejoices with the believers in Philippi that are standing firm in the Lord. He loves them. He longs for them. And he rejoices in them as a sign of what God is doing in the church. He, he sees that they are like a crown, a reward, an honor for Jesus Christ and for Paul to call them his friends, and that's why he urges them to stand firm. That's why he makes it specific, too, that standing firm means being united as one. Uh, a, a column does not stand as long if it's not on a good foundation. A, a column needs other columns near it to support the load together, and so it is with the church. If they are not united in mind and in mission, if they are not in Christ, then their efforts will be lost and in confusion. And Paul makes this point to raise up all of those who have served alongside him, those two women, Euodia and Syntyche, this unnamed companion, then Clement and many other co-workers. See, this church, the church, has never been about one person, about Paul, and it will never be that way. It's the church of all those who stand firm in, in their Lord Jesus Christ, and, and that brings Paul joy. So first, he rejoices when they stand firm. And second, he rejoices in, in, in their right thinking and acting. Paul rejoices in the Lord always, and it's important again that he says it twice. Rejoice. And this joy comes when they understand and know the mind of Jesus and when they put it into practice. And if the church does both things, then their gentleness will be evident to all. One of the best witnesses of the church is our unity and our gentleness and their motivation that, that the Lord and his kingdom are near, that they are near in the body of the church, that any fear, any doubt or anxiety or concern uh, can be laid before God in prayer, bringing thanks to God. And then the gift of God's peace will be on them. Then the Holy Spirit will come upon the church and a peace that is beyond understanding. And it's this peace that he says, this peace will guard your minds and your hearts. It will guard you from evil and fear. It's the peace of heart and mind. And it's the peace that is ultimately found in Christ Jesus. 
Now, what does that mind of being in Christ look like? Well, Paul adds one more thing, another little instruction for how to shape our minds to be like Christ, a kind of filter for evaluating what is good, what is worth thinking about deeply and at length. He says, whatever is true and noble and right and pure, admirable, lovely and excellent and praiseworthy, it's, it's quite a list. If anything could fit through that filter, it would be surely an extraordinary thing to think of. And those are the things that are worth meditating on. Jesus Christ himself. And that's how we become more like Christ, in mind and heart and body. And Paul connects it all to action. See, he's taught the church. He's passed on these stories of Jesus' life. He's told them the words of Jesus. He's preached and modeled the life of Christ. And now he wants them to do it. Now, of course, after that, that, that second thing, a rejoicing in being like Christ, Paul, third of all, rejoices in their gifts. And he is grateful for their gifts, but he wants to teach them something else too. He wants to, he wants to teach them contentment. It's another way of saying joy, a joy in all circumstances. See, Paul knows what it's like to be in need. He knows what it's like to be poor, to not be sure if he's going to have enough to keep preaching the gospel. And Paul also knows what it is like to have more than enough, uh, plenty to be able to care for his needs and for the needs of those around him. The, the King James Version has a beautiful bit of alliteration here. It says that Paul knows what it is like to be abased and to abound, to be abased and abound, to be in need and to be in plenty. And the secret of being content or, or joyful in all circumstances is found in him who gives him strength. That is in Christ Jesus. Joy for Paul comes from being in Christ. And Paul does want them to keep on being generous as they have been before because generosity is the sign of the joy that comes with being in Christ. And their gifts are this fruit of of joy that abounds and and continues to give gifts. It's like a, a sacrifice, a fragrant offering before God's throne. And they are a sign. These gifts are a sign that they trust that God will meet all their needs just as God has met Paul's needs. And all of this to God's glory. And Paul finally ends his letter with uh, some greetings and some praise of glory to God. He greets all of God's holy people in Philippi, and he reminds them one last time to be united as one. He sends greetings from all of those who are with him, from the church in Rome, from all of God's people, and surprisingly, from believers in Caesar's household. I never noticed that before, but it seems that there were believers within the household, the royal household of Caesar, who'd followed Jesus, perhaps jailers who'd taken care of Paul in prison, And they, too, send their greetings to Philippi. And then he ends it all with a blessing. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And today, I think we have a chance to practice a little bit of that joy that Paul talks about. See, joy, of course, isn't happiness. Though, certainly, it can feel like that when you're experiencing the blessings of plenty and God's provision. But the joy that Paul talks about also includes joy and suffering. It also includes joy tinged with sadness and loss. And and for the kind of joy Paul talks about might be better translated, says one pastor, as take heart or have courage. See, joy in sorrow, joy in suffering might sound a lot more like God saying, take heart, I am with you. Take heart, God's got you. God's got all of you. The church is in God's hands. 
And this is my last Sunday preaching for, with you before we go to Zuni, New Mexico. And later on in the service, I've asked the council president, uh, Dave Crone, to pray for us and, and send us and commission us on our way. And this is a joyful occasion. It is a, a, a joy of happiness and plenty, but it is also a joy of sadness and loss of leaving and, and departing and, and losing your, your pastor and our family, of, of saying goodbye. But take heart. Rejoice. God's got you. And one more thing, says Paul. Rejoice in Christ. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, your, your gifts of joy to us are are sometimes hard to grasp and understand. But like the church in Philippi, we, your church, want to rejoice in Christ. We want to know Christ and be found in him and rejoice whether in suffering or in plenty, whether in loss or in, in, in abundance, that we may know Jesus Christ, that we may be found in him and in that contentment of being in him, we may, be, we may find joy. I pray, O oh God, that we rejoice in him, that we know Jesus Christ more and more through, his, through the living word and that we may uh, continue to abound in joy and unity. I pray for your church here in Ellsworth. I pray for your church universal, that she may be united, united with Christ, united by the Spirit, united as one body who call on Jesus' name. We trust that that you are doing that even now in our midst and that by bringing joy in our midst in all circumstances, we may, may live lives of service, of praise, of glory to you in our giving, in our serving, in our thinking and praying that we may know Christ and rejoice in him. We pray this in his name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we respond to God's word, uh, we'll sing a song that speaks of the, the goodness